in with the offering and pull out your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, you're going to want a Bible. So if you didn't bring your own Bible, uh, there is a blue one underneath the seat you are sitting in. And in the blue Bible, Luke chapter 2 is on page 949, 949. Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be. And we're going to be really diving in and unpacking this kind of line by line. So make sure you have a Bible, you're following along. Um, while you, while you do that, while you're flipping there, I want to ask you a question. Uh, kind of show of hands. How, how many of you have done something to your house over the past few weeks where you have, you've changed something drastically in your house? You have, you've decorated something. You have, maybe there's some tinsel, maybe some light, maybe a wreath, some stockings. Anybody? Anybody in the room? Okay, all of you. All right. How many of you have a tree in your house right now? That's really creepy, okay? I'm just going to say, listen, at any other time in the year, if I came into your house and there's like a tree in your living room, that would not be acceptable. That would be strange and awkward. Like, why is there like this oak tree in your house in June? That makes no sense, right? Um, we, at Christmas, we, we go crazy, and, and my family does too, right? We have, listen, I have a tree in my house. It's beautiful, it's, which is awkward. It's a weird thing to say about a tree even. Oh, look at that beautiful tree. That's a strange thing to say. Uh, last night, my family, we went to the Luminaria down at Thanksgiving Point. Which if you, if you have not been there, if you have not seen that, uh, it's, it's a trip, all right? It's, it's crazy. There is, there's a million lights. There's actually probably more than a million lights. In fact, I'm positive there's more than a million lights. And it seems like every, every year, these things that we do, they're, they're always trying to like one-up themselves. Like there's, we got to go bigger than we went last year. Like how, how, do we, how do we impress people more? Like, and I don't know if you do this at your house, but most of us do, right? Every year, like we pull out bins and bins and bins full of Christmas decorations, but we still have to go to the store to buy more. Like how, how is that possible? Like when, when is it like, okay, we have all the Christmas decorations that we'll ever need. That never happens, which is like why Target and Walmart, like just go crazy. Like it's crazy, man. And so this year we're going through Luminaria and I'm like, gosh, like this, this, this smells like amazing. And my wife Desiree is like, they're pumping that in. It's like, as you walk through, you're outside, it's outside. And as you're walking through, the different displays have different smells that are coming in. So you're like walking through these like fake light flowers and it smells like flowers. And then there's like gingerbread houses and they're pumping in gingerbread smell. You're like, this is crazy. Or we went to like a light show, like a drive-through light show on Friday, which we do every year because that's like my speed. Okay. Um, I get to sit in a nice warm car and my kids can just go crazy in the back and I don't have to do anything. I just drive around at two miles an hour and I don't, that's amazing. Like that's Christmas for me. That's perfect. All right. But this year they're like, how do we one up this? Like we got 4 million lights. What are we going to do? We can't afford more lights. I know what we'll do. We'll give out glasses that make it feel like there's 400 million lights. Right. And they also give people seizures and make you sick to your stomach too, but it'll be amazing. Trust me. And so they have these crazy glasses you put on. It's like, this is making me nauseous, but it was awesome. The kids loved it and it's crazy. But here's, here's my point. Every, every year we decorate more and we want more beauty and more wonder and more splendor and it's got to look better than it ever has and we need to one-up ourselves. But the reality is we, not, not only do, that, we do, do that with light shows and Christmas trees and fun stuff in our house, but we also do that with the birth narrative of Christ. Whether you realize it or not, we do this with the birth narrative of Christ. We say, how, how do we make this better? 
How do we make this more beautiful? How do we write a better song that would describe it? And as Benjamin said last week, most of those songs are fabricated. They're made up. They're not even, they're not even accurate. But like we want to make it more. We, we need to get more out of it. And when we do that, listen, we are changing something. We're decorating something. We're putting garland and tinsel and lights on something that was created with immense purpose. And every single detail was preordained by God in the pre-existence of time. Before there were stars and moons and planets and trees and carbon and oxygen, before there was anything was that was, God in himself said, this is how this moment is going to go down. When I wrap myself in human flesh and when I step into the world to save it from the darkness of their sin and the curse of that sin, this is, the, this is how it's going to happen. Here's every single detail and here's how it's going to go down. And every year we say, how do we make that better? And in our foolish attempts to make what God has preordained from the beginning of time, how do we make it better? We rob ourselves from its meaning. We rob ourselves of its purpose. And so my goal this morning is just with the part of the story, not the whole thing, just a part of the story, is to kind of shake the glitter off of it a little bit and actually expose it for what it really is so that we might see it how it was meant to be seen and how it actually was so that we might respond in the way that we were meant to respond. Does that make sense? I want us to see it how it was meant to be seen so that we can respond how we were actually meant to respond. Rather than saying, isn't that cute? Man, how do we actually respond in a way that says, man, that's, that's the way that we're supposed to respond to the coming of Christ. Okay? Cool? All right. So, Luke chapter 2, and here's, here's the deal with this. So, I, I just said, I believe here at Flourishing Grace... We believe that, that what we're about to read, friends, was preordained by God before the beginning of time. And so if you're able, in honor and reverence to his word, if you would stand with me as I read it for us this morning, I'd appreciate it. Let's go. Luke 2. In, uh, let's back up. We'll read verse 7 just to give us some context. And she, that's Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son, Jesus, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, a feeding trough for animals, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, here we go. And verse 8, in the same region, the same area, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a great multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. And the angels went away from them into heaven. And the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. 
And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's have a seat. So we have the birth of Christ, and he's laid in a manger, right? Uh, this, this feeding trough for animals, for horses and donkeys and cows, right? He's born in a barn, which is pretty awesome, right? So then whenever his dad's like, were you born in a barn? He's like, actually, yeah, I, I was. Like, that's, that's awesome. Um, but at the same time, like, this is... This is crazy when we actually think about it. There's, there's all kinds of different arguments on what was it actually like. Was it, was it a cave, right? There's some, there's some ancient texts that kind of refer to this idea of a cave. Or, or was it more barn-like? Which, which was it actually like? Listen, it doesn't matter. Like, it was, it was a barn. It was where there, there's like cow manure in the corner. And there's like donkeys over here just like doing whatever donkeys do. It's, it's not a pretty place. It's dusty and it's dirty. He's laid uh, in this manger. And in the same region, in the very next line, so, so Jesus gets like one line, boom, that's it. He's laid in the manger. And then we move on to this kind of separate but same story. In the same region, the region of Judea where Bethlehem was, in the same region, there are shepherds keeping their flocks by night, doing what shepherds do. Now, again, let's just dust the glitter off of shepherds for a moment. Shepherds in first century Israel were not like we think of shepherds today, right? Uh, my, my boys um, have the Fisher-Price nativity set. I don't know if you, your kids have the Fisher-Price nativity set. They probably do because I think it's like the grandparent gift to buy kids. Like both my mother-in-law and my mom in the same year bought us one. So if you want an extra one, I got one for you. Um, it's like the thing to do, apparently. And in the Fisher-Price nativity set, right, the shepherds, first of all, they're all Caucasian, which I think is racist and weird. Um, and they all have really nice like robes on. Um, and and their, their sheep are all smiling, which is... Strange. I've never seen a sheep smile, but apparently in Fisher Price, in the Nativity said they can do that. There's palm trees. It feels more like a Mexico all-inclusive than the Nativity of Christ. Um, and and we've, we've created this idea of what this must have been like. They must have all been happy and just these good shepherds. And I've heard preachers even preach like the shepherds who like guarded the sheep came to guard baby Jesus. And it's like, well, that's not what Luke says, but okay, all right. Um, here's, here's the reality of shepherds in first century Israel. They're not like shepherds that we see today, right? Um, we, we, we take mission trips. We go to India where there's still shepherds everywhere. They're like taking hundreds of goats down the street and your car is just like, what am I doing right now? There's like goats everywhere, right? They're not, they're not like we think of shepherds today. The shepherds in first century Israel were a different breed of people. Think more like, Wild West outlaws, if you will. In fact, there was an, an early philosopher of Alexandria described what these shepherds were like back in the day. Here's what they said about them. He says, there's no more disreputable an occupation. Well, you got tax collectors and prostitutes, but nope. There's no more disreputable an occupation than that of a shepherd. They cannot be trusted. They're brute 
thieving, deplorable men who prefer the company of animals and other men than they do community life. Okay? That's how shepherds were viewed in first century Israel. In fact, we know that shepherds were not allowed to enter into the temple. They weren't considered worthy to enter the temple. They, they were just, it was just assumed that if you were a shepherd, like you were, you're probably a murderer and a liar. Okay? Like you, just, you just weren't allowed to, to enter into the temple. And then at the same time, shepherds in, in that day weren't trusted. Like a devout Jew would not buy milk, like goat's milk and sheep's wool from a shepherd directly. It was just, again, it was just assumed those are stolen goods. Like those are black market goods that shepherds hawking off of the, the owner's sheep, right? The shepherd didn't own the sheep. The shepherd didn't own the goats. The, the master did. And so what shepherds would do is they would just shave a little wool off, milk a little goat milk, and they would sell it on the street corner like during the day when the master's not around. They'd pocket that cash. And so a devout Jew in that day wouldn't even buy from the shepherd, right? The shepherds were more like the outlaws of the old West, right? And which again, we like to clean up the stories of the West, how the West was won as well, right? We like to tell these stories of these heroes and these cowboys and these pioneers. But the reality is like everybody who came to Utah and Wyoming and Colorado, the first people here, they're all on the run from something. They murdered somebody in Boston or they stole something in Chicago and they're here hiding out. Like the early ranch hands were ranch hands for a reason. Like they wanted to be in the middle of nowhere because nobody's ever going to find them there. Nobody's going to come looking for them there. This is the shepherds in first century Israel. And so you have the angels, the angels who are like ready to roll, right? The, the Messiah has been born. The, the God of all things has clothed himself in human flesh and he's been born in a manger. And the angel's like, all right, let's go. Where are we going? You want us to descend on the, the, on, on the, on the, on the emperor of Rome? You want us to sit, descend on Rome and on Caesar Augustus and just kind of shake the palace walls? Like, where, where are we going? You want us to descend on the, the temple of Israel and put the Shekinah glory all over that place and just like, light it up. Let's go. Where are we going? And God's like, those guys will do. Shepherds. Shepherds will be good. Angels are like, hold on, hold on, no, 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 I don't think you understand. Like, those aren't, those aren't kings. Those aren't emperors. Those are, those are shepherds. Like, they can't be trusted. Like, if we show up to them, nobody's going to listen to us. Like, nobody, nobody's going to actually believe that they saw what they saw. Like, their, their story can't be trusted. God's like, no, 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 those are the guys I want. No, 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 they're thieves. They're, they're murderers. Like, these are, they, these are the most deplorable men. Like, you can't. God says, no, 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 those, those are the men that I have chosen. And so an angel of the Lord appears to them. And so in the middle of the night, the skies open up and this blinding light appears to them and they, they fall on their face in fear. You see, norm, normally when we encounter fear, like our, our body responds in one of two ways, right? We, we, either, we either fight or we run away, like fight or flight. Like that's just the normal reaction of a human being. When something is there, when, when there's somebody comes up behind you, you either run away or you turn to fight. But every single time the glory of God shows up in Scripture, there's a third option. Men fall on their faces. And they realize, man, there's no way I can run from this, and there's no way I can fight this. It's over for me. There's no hope for me. But the angel, the first word of the angels, fear not. 
Fear not, the God of all things does not come to bring fear and wrath and vengeance. No, 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 no. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. That line right there, all people, I don't know if you circle or underline your Bible, but that, that line is, again, I said all of this is preordained by the God of all things before the beginning of time. That line of the angel for all people is directly linked to Genesis 12 and Genesis 22, some 2,000 years earlier when God promises to Abram, hey, from you is going to come one who's going to bless all the people of the earth. All the nations of in you is one that's going to come. It's going to bless all the nations of the earth. God promises to say Abraham. And the, what the angel is saying to the shepherds in this moment, here it is. The story that your dad told you and your grandfather told you and your great-grandfather told you that's been passed down from generation to generation, from generation to generation to generation to generation. It's here. It's here. The one that God has promised is here. And then he says this, that this is the line that you must, I don't know if you, again, I don't know if you circle or highlight or underline, but look at verse 11. For unto you, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior. For unto you, you dirty, thieving, smelly, murderous shepherds, is born to you, this day, in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Sometimes I think that we forget that Christ was not Jesus' last name. It's a title that was given to him. Christ, the Christos, the, the anointed one, the Messiah, the King of kings. For, for unto you, right? So this is good news for all people, but for you in particular, you who are broken, you who are murderous, you who are, cannot be trusted, for unto you is born a Savior. The Messiah, the Anointed One, has come to you. The first people to hear the good news of great joy are shepherds. And so you must, if you, if you kind of shake the glitter off of this story and you remove the tinsel and all the garland and all the things that we've put on it, you must ask the question, why? Why shepherds? Well, why would the God of all things choose shepherds of all people? Why not Caesar Augustus? Why, why not the high priest? Why shepherds? Why would he do that? You see, shepherds are disreputable, or they were disreputable. They were thieves and they were liars and many of them were murderers. And they knew it. They understood that. No one had to tell them that they smelled like sheep. No one had to tell them that nobody trusted them and that people didn't like them around. Nobody had to tell them that when they came by, moms pulled their kids in a little bit closer. They understood that. And what God is saying in this moment is for unto you, unto you. You see, I think for so many of us, the religions of this world, listen to me, the religions of this world want you to believe that God comes to those who are worthy, that God comes to those who, who have it together, that God comes to those who have earned the right to be called, could be called worthy, that have earned the right to enter some special place. The shepherds weren't allowed in the temple. That's who God came for. The ones who weren't allowed in. 
Not for those who had earned some title or some, for some status. You see, the reality is that people who say, people who say that, man, uh, man, you must do all of these things and get your life together for God to be happy with you. They are liars and murderers of souls. That is not true. You know, when you look at the gospel, when you look at Christ, you look at the people that he poured his life into, you know who he couldn't save? You know who Christ couldn't change? People who thought they were worthy of him. People who thought they were worthy of the love of God. But you know who it is easy for him to change? You know who it is easy for him to save? People who knew their place. The prostitutes, the drunks, the shepherds. Those were the ones who came to Christ. Friends, for many of us in this room, you have been trying for so long to clean up your life, to think that, man, if I just get myself together, if I just get it together, then God will love me more. That's not true. For God so loved the world, he loved you right as you were in the midst of your sin while you were still a sinner. Christ gave his life for you. He so loved the world that he gave his only son. He was born in a manger to those, to those who did not deserve him. Those who did not have the rights as other people had rights to. They weren't allowed to go into the temple. They weren't allowed to, they weren't trusted before other people. For unto them Christ came. And for so many of us who have been burying our sin in our hearts and in our souls and kind of pushing it back into the dark corners of our souls for so long, I don't want anybody to find out. I don't want anybody to know. I don't want anybody to know that this is who I actually am. For unto you is born this day, in the city of David, a Savior. One who can take the darkest depths of your sin, your failure, the things you have done that nobody else knows about, the things that you dare not speak, and can cleanse them, white as wool, pure as snow, and who sees it fully. Don't kid yourself. He knows you better than you know yourself, and he loves you just as you are. For unto you is born a Savior. Let's keep moving. Verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a great multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth among those whom he is pleased. Right? The angels don't need to be told what to do. The angels know exactly what's going to happen. When, when, the, when the Messiah comes to earth, when God puts on flesh, it doesn't matter if he's born in a manger or in a palace. It doesn't matter if the first people to hear about it are shepherds or kings. When it is proclaimed, when that word is spoken, they know what to do. The fullness of heaven is open that night. And every angel with a voice declares the glory of God. What the shepherds see in that moment ruins them, friends. Like you'll never, they'll never see anything like it. You will never see anything like it until we are called home to glory. You'll never experience that. What the shepherds, what these, what these deplorable men got to experience that night is something that nobody else has ever gotten to experience. The full realm of heaven declaring the glory of God. And it ruins them. It ruins them for anything less than to follow Christ with everything that they are and everything that they have. The shepherds are changed in that moment for the rest of their lives. They will never be the same. And they do three things immediately. And that's what I want us to look at for the rest of our time. 
Verse 15, and when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, here it is, let us go, go, go over to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and a baby lying in a manger. The first thing that happens when we, when we become a people who know who we truly are, Know the weight of our sin. Know the extent of our brokenness. Realize that we do not have it all together, that our most righteous deeds are as filthy rags before the King of Kings. And yet we find out that that same holy, blameless, spotless God who is pure and just and right loves us as we are. We go to him. We leave it all. The shepherds turn from their sheep. They turn from their lives of thieving and lying, and they go to follow a baby who's been born in a manger. Suddenly, it does not matter. It does not matter where he's born. It does not matter how much money he has. It does not matter anything about him, what kind of clothes he has on. It does not matter what kind of career he has. They follow the one whom God has said, this is the anointed one. This is my son. This is my boy. And he's the savior of the world. They leave everything to follow him. And so for those of us in the room who have, have experienced, we've, we've experienced his grace. We've tasted his mercy. We know the glory of God because while we were still sinners, we became, he awoke us to our sin. He awoke us to our failure. And he awoke us to his grace and mercy all in the same time. We are ruined for anything else too than to relinquish our grasp on the things of this world and to follow after that same one, to cling to Christ. And so let us be a people who go to him. Let us be a people who say, man, there's nothing more valuable, there's nothing to be treasured more than that of Christ. Let us be a people who relinquish our grasp on the things of this world and cling to him and him alone. Let us be a people who actually follow him. The second thing the shepherds do is they tell others, they proclaim this. Verse 17, and when they saw it, when they saw this this scene, this baby in the manger, just as the angels had described, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They made it known. Let, Let me declare to you what has actually happened. Let me tell you what has taken place. Let me tell you what, what God has done in my heart and in my soul. Let me tell you what has transformed within me. I know, I know I shouldn't be trusted. I know you shouldn't listen to me. I know you shouldn't allow me next to your baby kid. I understand that. I'm a shepherd. I'm not worthy of these things. But let me tell you what God has done in me. And all who heard it, right? It's not just Mary and Joseph anymore. There's other people there. All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They're telling everybody in town, man. Everybody has to know. You won't believe what we saw. And they wondered at it. But Mary, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So for those of us who have encountered the glory of God, when we've come face to face with who we are in light of who he is, and we realize, man, he loves us enough to cleanse us, from the inside out, to call us to himself, to not reject us, not push us away, to not punish us with his wrath, but to draw us near in the midst of our sin. Are are we not compelled to share that? Are are we not compelled to 
tell our friends and tell our neighbors, to tell our family members. You see, I think for many of us, we've kind of forgotten what Christ has actually done in us. We've forgotten who we are. Like we've decorated ourselves so much. We've cleaned ourselves up so much. And now, now, now I read my Bible every day. And now I pray. And now I go to church. And now I don't, and now I don't need it anymore. When Peter in, in Acts they're arrested, the early church is arrested, and they're trying to kind of squash this rebellion. The Jewish leaders are arresting them, they're beating them. They say, okay, we'll let you go, but you cannot talk about this anymore. They say, whether it is right in the eyes of God, you be the judge. But we cannot stop speaking of the things that we've seen and heard. People who have truly been transformed by the glory of God, people who have actually, actually experienced the power of Christ transforming their life, can't stop talking about it. It must be people who go and proclaim. And then the last thing, the last things we see from the shepherds in verse 20, the shepherds return glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. We become a people of glory and praise. We're always people of glory and praise, Right? It's just our own glory and our own praise. Uh, look, at, look at what I've done. We are people who are hungry for our own glory. We want people to, to praise us and glorify us. And we, we, want to, we want to receive the accolades. We want to receive the raise. We want to be told that we're doing a good job. But in, in the, for those who have been wrecked by the gospel, suddenly I no longer need those things because all of those things belong to God. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We, I don't need that anymore. I, I, I don't need, I don't need the glory. I want him to have it because I've seen something that is far more glorious than anything that I will ever do or achieve or find or buy or acquire. What the shepherds saw that night ruined them. It's like, what are they going to do next year to one up that? Like, if they saw the light show that I saw last night, they would just be like, this is boring, man. Like, this is nothing. This is nothing compared to that. They're pumping in smells, though. Who cares? You know what an angel smells like? It's amazing. Like, I don't know. They're ruined for anything less. You can't one-up it from that moment on. It's just glory to God. Everything else doesn't deserve glory. There's no glory for light shows. There's no glory for fireworks. There's no glory for awe and wonder because they've seen it. They've seen the full glory. And friends, I think what we forget is that for those of us in this room who have tasted our brokenness, we've actually encountered it. We've actually come to a place where we, we know how broken we are. We, we know We know how far our sin has separated us from our righteous and pure God. And we've seen his great love for us. Even though we don't deserve it in any way, shape, or form, we deserve to be crushed, to be brutally punished. But we've seen his grace in our life be poured out. We know the taste of his mercy. I think we've got to kind of pull back all of this decorations that we've put all over this thing called our lives and where we've become impressed by lesser glories and we must, must remind ourselves that there was only one, there's only one person ever who could have actually saved me. One person ever who could have called me out of that and brought me into spiritual light. That's the most glorious thing you've ever seen. And it demands that we go to the glorious one.
May we proclaim what he has done in our lives, in the lives of our family, in the lives of our friends. And, and it ruins us for anything less than to praise him and him alone and not the things of this world, not the lesser things. And so my hope for us as we move closer and closer and closer to Christmas is that you begin to prepare your hearts by diminishing the lesser glories in your life. I'm not saying get rid of the Christmas tree. I'm not saying get rid of the stockings. That's not it at all but to remind yourself that these are lesser glories and I will not stand in awe of them, but I will fight to be in awe of the one who is the center of it all. I'll fight to be in the awe awe of the one who is worthy of all praise and glory, the one who has saved us and redeemed us. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning and I ask that you would just, in this moment, that you would remind us of your grace. That you'd strip away all of the, just the fake, whitewashed areas of our lives that we've built up to hide this truth that, and I am utterly broken before you. That I do not deserve your grace. I do not deserve to taste another breath of air. I do not deserve to hear the laughter of my children or to see the face of my beautiful wife. I do not deserve to have friends who love me. I don't deserve any. I deserve deserve nothing before you. I deserve to be stripped of it all. I've sinned against you. I've hungered for your glory. I've stolen it. I'm a thief. I'm a liar. My life reeks of sin. And yet in the midst of all of that, you've pursued me. For unto us is born a Savior. Father, would all the lesser glories in our lives melt before you? Would we be a people who follow hard after you? Relinquishing our grasp on the things of this world, turning away from our old selves and our old identity, the identity of a sinner, would we turn away from that? And would we root ourselves in Christ, following hard after you? For these things in his sweet name, in the name of Jesus, amen. Why don't you guys go ahead and stand?